Well, who's pumped for the uh, last session? Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's what I want to hear. What I want to know, though, is are you pumped because it's the last session you get to go home? Or are you pumped because it's the last session of so much gold and you just gold? <laughs> this is good. And you just want to keep it going. Well, what I want to do with you, a uh, couple of things. Uh, I've, got, um, I've got 45 minutes of material I want to go through in a second. Not at all. I want to get you to break up. I want you to do a uh, reflect, pair, share. You know that kind of deal? I'm really won by this little uh, school teacher thing. I want us to hear your own reflections on what's been great about these last days together, what have been really helpful for you. And so what I want you to do is take a minute just to reflect yourself on, you know, what have you found really uh, stirring, helpful, challenging, um, encouraging. Uh, do that just for a moment. And then I want you to kind of pair up or triple up and uh, share together about what you found helpful and then we'll, we'll encourage each other and hear from each other. So can we do that? Everyone clear? Go for it. Take a moment, just on your own. Take a moment on your own, no talking. What have you found helpful? What are you still totally confused about? We'll share. A pair, pair, do the pair thing, or triple thing, the trinity thing, do that. Okay, let's, uh, let's share some of that news with each other. So this is an opportunity after three or so days together to encourage one another. Um, so who wants to... What have you found helpful? What have you found encouraging? Let's hear it. Yeah, Richard. Yeah. 
Yep. I don't know if you're joking or you're serious right there, but... <laughs> yeah, good, yeah, good, good, yeah, good. Just at that tone of irony about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, 100%. It's been rich, hasn't it? Yeah. What else? good yeah and three c's too it's nice isn't it yeah <laughs> preaching right there yeah good It really is very precious, isn't it? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's good. Yeah. Ephesians 3.10, isn't it? That, yeah. That's very, yeah. yeah. God holds up the assembly of his people and says to the spiritual forces, look what I did. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. What else? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Isn't it a rich thing to see the, um, the struggles? Yeah, it's not, not an easy work we're in. And yet in the midst of that, you keep hearing talk, people talk with great optimism. You know, there's this hope and confidence. It's the day of salvation. We just keep pressing on in it, yeah. With the struggles and pain, but yeah. I love it. What else? Nice. The trench is a design feature, not a bug. It's good. Yeah. 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 This is the first time in three years. That's right. The, 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 the online thing just doesn't, doesn't match it, does it? Yeah. 
there's a power to us being able to bump into each other. To, yeah. What else? glory of the gospel unless a seed perishes it remains a single seed John talks Countercultural, but there's a beauty to it, isn't there? Yeah. Anything else? Last one. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> yep. It's not. That is very good. I'm glad we. I'm glad we had you. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there is a great excitement just um, in the midst of tiredness. But uh, yeah. Well, let me offer some final thoughts. There's been so much gold, and I, you know what do you what do you say as the last thing before we leave out together? And um, I, I I've got a, a couple of. I've got one big thing that break down into a, two, two smaller things. The, the one big thing, and I'm sorry if this is going to be that classic cliche, the real estate cliche, but uh, just as that's a helpful little thing. Um, what, what, is, what is it that's critical together as we leave this place? What is it that's critical? Well, there'll be a bunch of things that are critical. I, I'll, I'll offer this, though. The critical thing that... One of the big critical things that we take out from this place is Clarity. In fact, you could say it like the real estate. There's three things you need to take away. Clarity, clarity, clarity. Yeah. Be clear. Christian leadership at the very heart... Well, uh, you know, a key component of Christian le- effective Christian leadership is clarity. And if you don't have clarity, no one's going to have clarity. So it, it matters essentially that you have... It's fundamental to what we do... Um, now, I, I want to give you two big areas of thought where we need to be clear, and I'm hoping this might pull all our thoughts together. It, it will do an inadequate job of that, but we'll see how we go. The first big area of clarity that we need is to be clear about who we are and who God is. Now, just to be clever for a moment, that's in Calvin, right? And the beautiful thing is it's in the first two pages of the Institute, so you could, you could read the first two pages and know, you've know, I know Calvin. That's all, you, you can stop right there. But the first great big insight that Calvin offers is there's two kinds of knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of self. The two are related um, and they're a beautiful, powerful insight. And to be clear about who we are actually needs clarity about who God is. To be clear about who God is actually comes from clarity about ourselves as well. 
the two things are related but as Calvin observes you need to start with God if we're going to honour his place in the universe and understand him. What is it about God that brings clarity to us particularly about who we are? His holiness. His holiness. The, the, more, you are, the more you are clear about God as other, the great and vastness of who God is, which is the Trinitarian time together, hasn't it? That there, there are depths to who God is that are beyond comprehension. And just sitting in that is itself, um, it, it educates you, yes, but, but it humbles you and it, it brings perspective about who you are, that the God that we serve is the great God of the universe, is the holy other uh, who is in himself beyond comprehension. Um, but in his morality, he, he is perfected in his difference from us. He is perfectly holy. Now, knowing that about God, the more you know that with greater clarity about his perfections, his beauty, his holiness, what does that help you make sense of with us? The more you know that about God, the more you appreciate that we are sinners. That we're sinners. The more you see the vastness of the gulf between us and God. If we have small thoughts of God, you'll have big thoughts of yourself. But if you have big thoughts of God, you'll begin to see yourself rightly through the lens of His holiness to see we are sinners. There's a profound and deep gap between us. He is worthy because of His holiness, His greatness, His otherness. He is worthy of all praise. And to see, therefore, our lack, our failure to do what we ought to do makes very clear the infinite seriousness of that sin. Understanding who God is helps you appreciate who we are. And when that clarity is crystal clear about who we are before God, when it's sharply seen and deeply felt, what follows is the centrality and necessity of the gospel. There is no other hope for humanity apart from Christ and his death, his resurrection. There is no other hope. There is heaven and there is hell. The reality of this, you know, we can struggle with the whole idea of hell, the notion that it's real, the notion that it's true and serious. And I think that there's a natural, there's a natural drift to find it difficult to take seriously the notion of hell. Um, when we look around at each other, we're aware no one's perfect. We're aware we've all got our frailties and problems, of course. But as we look at each other, we can soon believe that we aren't truly lost. You know, I'm bad, you're bad, but, you know, we, we're patient with each other. We're okay with each other. Surely there will be a God who will be the same with us. And as we look at each other, but as soon as you start to step back and see the glory of God and His greatness and begin to see us for who we are, and what we owe God and we have failed to give Him God, then you appreciate the seriousness of sin and the justness of judgment. The justness of judgment. It's the speck of, a speck of dust. You've heard this illustration. It's a great little illustration. The, um, when you have a speck of dust on your hand, you don't even notice it. But put that same speck on your eye and it is, it's like a mountain there. When you see sin in the holiness and perfection of God, you see why he cannot look upon evil. can't even look upon it. But when you have that sin in us, we don't even notice it because we're covered in sin. We're the hand that's filthy. 
one more speck is no big deal. But when you see the perfections of God and the nature of sin in his context, you realise how far short we are, how hell is a necessary reality for the just and holy God. And when you see all of that with great clarity, what becomes very, be, becomes very clear is the necessity of the gospel. Human sin, human need in light of God's holiness. There's another way into this, actually. I think I find this an, an, a really helpful piece as well. There's another way into understanding who we are and who God is. And it's through, I hope you realise where I'm going next, it's through the cross. It's through the cross. The greater your clarity about the cross and what happened to the cross, the greater your clarity will be about humans and what humans are like and God is like. The greater your clarity about the cross. Why is that the case? Because when you actually look at the cross, you begin to see that it, that it took... It took God's only son to die for our sin problem to be dealt with. When you look 2,000 years ago and you see what had to happen for you and me to be reconciled to God, to have sin dealt with, when you see what it took, it brings great clarity to the seriousness of sin. I work hard at illustrations and try and come up with them. There's, I don't get many good ones, but this is one I like. And you've heard it before because I've only got two or three good ones. So I'm going to use it again with you. It's the Aaron Ralston one. Uh, and if you've not heard this, then um, blessings on you because it might sound good to you. It's uh, Aaron Ralston. Do you remember Aaron Ralston's an American guy who, is, who does the speaking tour, the motivational speaking tour, because he went through a dreadful accident in Utah um, and uh, managed to get out of an almost impossible situation. What happened was, in 2003, he was uh, canyoning uh, in, um, in Utah in a particular place, and uh, the, the name of it's just, let me try, Blue John Canyon. As he was canyoning on his own, uh, miles from anywhere, he, he, uh, he was coming down the, the hill, the cliff face, and a massive boulder fell on his right arm and pinned him into place and he was uh, stuck doing everything he could to try and get out after five days of being stuck no one near no one coming to help there was no possibility of anyone he's a long way from anywhere uh, after five days of being pinned like this here's what he did ready for this he he intentionally broke the two bones of his forearm and then he only had a blunt pen knife on him he pulled out his blunt pen knife and sawed through the flesh of his forearm to, to tear himself out from it Wow. And then he rappelled down a 200-metre cliff face and swam a mile and hiked for 200 metres of miles or something, right? you know, swam to Australia or whatever. He, he, he got out of it, right, and, uh, with, with one arm. And he's now the motivational speaker guy, right? It's an extraordinary story. He's written books about it and so on. But just imagine this. Imagine he's at a conference as he's speaking, doing his motivational talk deal. And uh, at the end of the conference, he's told this story about um, this... Uh, uh, this um, Blue John Canyon, and someone at the end of it comes, a young guy comes and says, ah, Utah, South Utah, Blue John Canyon, I know that, I've been there a lot, you know, is the rock that fell on your arm, was it shaped like this? He said, yeah, 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 what is it, kind of leaning on this spot here, and he said, yeah, 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 that's the same place, I've been there as well, but did you know, if you just tip that rock a little this way, it falls back again. Now, how do you think Aaron Ralston would feel at that point? You know, he'd kind of go, oh, Dang. Actually, you'd go, oh, dang. He'd <laughs> it, it, it his forehead and say, what a fool I was. What a fool I was. Now, you know that conversation's not going to happen. I'll tell you why it's not going to happen. Because 
What was he doing for the five days that he was pinned by his forearm to that boulder? The, the fact that it took five days for him to break his forearm and cut it off uh, tells you that he was doing everything he could to find another way out. Because the fact of the cost that he went through to get out of it, it was so great and so vast and so significant, he wasn't going to do that just on a whim. You with me? God sends his son into the world. He comes in the person of his son, the God of the universe. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, weeps tears uh, where his sweat is like drops of blood at the thought of going to death. Father, take this cup from me. If it is possible, take this cup from me. And the fact that the Father answers that with the silence of there's no other way tells you that sin is deeply, deeply serious. If it were possible to be right with God by the law, Christ died for nothing, is Paul's logic. If it were possible to be a decent, good father, mother, a loving neighbour and a friendly person and just nice all the time, if it was possible to be enough of that to be right with God on the final day, Christ died for nothing. Now you spin the logic of it, that Christ had to die, that God had to send his only son, his precious son, the one he says at the baptism of Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. That he gave up that son's life to death tells you there's no other way for humans to be saved. And to front up to God on the last day saying, Jesus said, why are you here unforgiven? Well, I tried my best and I'm sure that's okay. While Jesus is standing there with the scars that he received, pain for sin. Greater clarity we can bring to this. this. When you have clarity about the holiness of God, the sinfulness of humanity, what is needed to bring reconciliation between sinners and God himself, when there's clarity about that, what becomes crystal clear is the centrality of the gospel. There is no other work like it. His death stands as testimony. Now, for many of you sitting here, you, you need to take some of this on faith. You find yourself going, I just find it hard to believe that hell could be possible, that eternal condemnation would really surely a loving God. For some of you, you have to take it on faith by continually looking at the cross at the death of Jesus, the holiness of God, and going, there is something here that I have not ever comprehended the depths of. That you might again be brought to clarity. Hearts captured by the truth of there's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. That people around us are lost, genuinely lost under the judgment of God. Except that they hear the news of Christ crucified, raised again as Lord, our only name under heaven by which we can be saved. Clarity. Clarity of conviction that comes from all of that clarity. There's the first piece of clarity. Our only hope is the gospel. The second piece of clarity is an appreciation of the time that we live in. Clarity about the time we live in. And this has been the message through these days. And let me give you a way into this. I'm going to give you two readings 
Uh, and uh, I'm going to break every rule that Al told us to adhere to by not giving long readings the other day, so I'm going to see if we can do this. I read this newspaper article just re recently from the Sydney Morning Herald. I try and read the Sydney Morning Herald and other papers to try and get a bit of balance and so on, right? But, um, but I find one of, the, one of the papers drives me more insane than the other, but anyway. So this is an article written by a lady called Jane Caro, and I, I don't know her, but um, she wrote an article, uh, Are We in the Process of Giving Birth to a Whole New World? And she explains here uh, about the nature of um, giving birth and how there are two stages, at least, in childbirth, the first stage, the second stage, and the period between the first and second stage is called transition. And it happens... Now, this is going to become too much information for most of the men amongst us, but it, it, it comes when a woman is fully dilated to 10 centimetres, um, but the baby's head has not entered the birth canal too much. But anyway... It, <laughs> She goes on to say, um, it's at that point of transition that labour often goes awry. Um, th that's the time when the note of panic enters the labouring woman's voice. It's the time when the labouring woman feels overwhelmed and frightened. Even if they'd cope well to that point, uh, this transition moment's a dreadful one. I was sharing this with some uh, friends the other day and, and one woman called out and said, uh, yeah, no, no, transition, you know it's transition when the woman yells out at that point, I'm ready to go home now let's go home, right? There's that kind of insanity that comes. And you just, men, you just need to appreciate, at that point, one of you is not in a rational place, okay? And uh, my first, at the birth of my first child, um, I, I hadn't quite captured that, so I, I was trying to explain the biology of this to Kathy through transition, and it was, um, just wasn't working. I didn't quite understand what. Fourth child, I just called for more morphine. It um, <laughs> was much simpler at that point. But um, transition. Anyway, she gives you this idea about transition, and she says, um, she says this, um, to, explains how in the labour ward she was uh, puffing, yelling, screaming. Um, there was a floundering through transition, struggling, uh, and so on. And listen to this. It's been three decades since I was in the labour ward. But, ne but nevertheless, as I look at the chaos and unpredictability of the world that we're in, as I read about the rise of anxiety, mental health issues especially amongst the young, the polarisation of our politics, the denial of reality, the rise of populist leaders offering simple solutions to complex issues. I'm reminded of those long-ago lessons about transition. And she says, are we in transition? Is that why the whole world is in panic, floundering around, lurching from one painful and unpredictable moment to the next? Are we moving from one world into another? The old world was exhausting and painful, particularly for those at the bottom of the pile, but it was predictable. We knew it, we understood it. Uh, we might not have liked it. Um, as one wit has noted, if time machines existed, only white, straight men would want to use them. No other group would want to go back past 1960. Now, I take a little offence at that as a white male, uh, but... Um, I come from the line of a bunch of men who worked themselves to the bone before the 1960s trying to provide for their families. It wasn't all uh, ease and comfort for men and women back then, but uh, putting that aside. Are we in the process of giving birth to a whole new world? Hopefully a fairer, less hierarchical world where we all live in greater harmony with one another and with the natural environment? Is this why we're in such an uncomfortable and panicky place right now? 
Just like mother and child, we know the world we are leaving, but we don't know the one we're going into. Now, what's her vision of the time we're in? It's a transition from an older, hierarchical, oppressive, male-dominated world into a much better world. It's the romance of a kind of utopia that's coming as we work hard together to transition this place into its... And the, and the experience of all the stress and anxiety is just evidence that we're perhaps transitioning from one world into a new world experience in this place. There's one way of understanding the times we're in. Let me read the words of Jesus. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquake in various places. All of these are the beginnings of the birth pains. Transition. You'll be handed over to, the persecuted, uh, to be persecuted, put to death. You'll be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn from the faith and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear, deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Transition, you see, the transition. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. What's Jesus' view of the time that we're in? Yes, wars, rumours of wars, complex difficulties flailing about, a world that's fighting each other. There's all kinds of things happening. Even within the Christian faith, there are people losing their way and falling aside. It's a terribly complex period of time. But what does Jesus say that's evidence of? Not transitioning into another experience of this life, but it's the, it's the evidence of the end. The end. The end of this world order. The destruction of the elements by fire. The end of this age where God plans to bring a whole new creation, a new age. That's what it's evidence of. Now here it is. They're very different views of the time we are in. Jesus thinks it's the moment before the cataclysmic end of this whole historical time frame. She thinks it's a moment between one and the next in our experience of planets here. Two different, if she is right, what's needed? Activists, politicians, change agents, people focused on physical well-being, mental health issues. If Jesus is right, what's needed? Gospel preaching. Preachers of the kingdom. People who will go out as prophets to declare to the world that this world in its present form is passing away. There is a new age to come where the only hope of life eternal is through the gospel of the crucified Jesus. There's no other hope. 
We do need activists and politicians and medical people and engineers even. We need all kinds of different people in our world. But what we need most, given who God is, who we are as sinners, what we need most given the time we're in, with the end about to come, what we need most are gospel preachers. Preachers of the kingdom. Preachers who have crystal clarity. Clarity. And I tell you, it's not easy to be clear. In our day and age, there's a constant drift. And interestingly, there's a new force at work that causes the drift. It's the force of love. We are at a time where within the Christian community, love rightly is prominent. But love now means for so many people paying attention to the needs of people in this age. And so love has become a stick to beat gospel preachers with. But clarity brings a different insight. Clarity brings the insight that true love, the greatest love that I can give anyone, the greatest expression of love to another person in this current time is to bring the word of God that, brings, that deals with the greatest problem that our world has, which is sin and the righteous judgment of God upon it. Brothers and sisters, if you aren't clear about these things, no one else will be. And this is our calling. Now, wonderfully, we're not on our own. We have a partnership and a fellowship with one another. But more wonderfully, we're not on our own. Jesus himself promised that he would be with us to the very end by his powerful Holy Spirit, the very power of the living God with us to enable and empower us to bring the gospel of his son to a world that is dead and dying. You know, as you come out of these days together, I think you all need to go and have a great big rest. Go and get a day off, get two days off, get some time off. Everyone needs it, yeah? Um, make sure you get some rest. It's the beautiful thing about a day off regularly. But just remember this, as you have time off, as you have a day off, part of the reason you have a Sabbath every week is to remind you of the eternal Sabbath rest to come, the end to come, the kingdom to come. You have a rest to refresh and re-strengthen, but you have a rest to remember this world is not our home. The enjoyment of a day off is a foretaste of eternity to come not an indulgence in this age that we're stuck in. So have a rest. But use that rest to be strengthened and encouraged to come back into our working life, renewed with the vigour to be about our task of seeking and saving the lost, of preaching the kingdom of God, a kingdom that will come cataclysmically one day. And there'll be no other hope for people except that they're established in the things of Christ. What a great work we, are, we have. We are in touch with the deep and true things of the universe. We have a great God who is with us. So let's press on. Let's press on. I'll pray briefly and throw it away. Heavenly Father, we, um, we're just very conscious of our own frailty and weakness and, and ask, please, for your strength and strength.
strengthening your, your powerful work by your Holy Spirit in our lives to sustain us, uphold us, enable us, but also to give us clarity. Please help us be crystal clear about your holiness, our sinfulness, our deep need for Christ, and the fact that this world in its present form is passing away. Help us be crystal clear that the end is coming and people's only hope is the Saviour Jesus. Help us therefore to be about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The only hope